Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, it's your girl Cheryl Asia Donovan, and we want to welcome you this evening to Real Life, Real Faith Radio. We are so glad that you decided to join us here this afternoon. And on today, I'd like to call this show The Two Donors, The Two Donors, because we'll have the opportunity yeah. to interview Two Donors today. The sport of men. Both of these ladies at the top of their game in their various industries, and we wanted to have an opportunity to introduce each of them to you on this evening. But just before we get started, I wanted to talk about some of the things that are going on in the headlines. You know, what do you guys think about that whole um, spoof that they did, comedy spoof that Hillary Clinton did with, uh, I forget the guy's name now, but where he made the comment about CP time. You know, I've heard a lot of different uh, ideas about all of that. You know, one, some people say, why are we always so sensitive? You know, they were just making a joke. They were being funny. Others take it very personally and say that they have an issue with uh, Caucasians trying to in any way identify or define anything that it has to do with African Americans. You know, I don't know. I honestly believe, you know, and I know that there are some things that are underlying and some things that are um, are definitely directed at African Americans in a bigoted sort of way. But I really, they, I think they were stretching, but I really don't think that they meant it in a harmful way. I don't know. Maybe you can hit us up on our Facebook page, Real Life Real Face with Cheryl Lacey Donovan, Donovan, and tell us what uh, what you think about that. You know, also we've been in the news, two young girls that have been uh, roughed up by police officers. I, I get it. That, you know, some of our kids are very, very um, uh, belligerent these days. Some of them can be very uh, arrogant. Some of them can be very disrespectful. But I just cannot fathom anything outside of either of them pulling a gun or a knife or something on the officer that would have prompted them, uh, as big as they are, you know, big burly officers, to take 12-year-old or a 16-year-old and literally slam them to the ground or whatever in an attempt to bring them under control. I don't know. Uh, you know, again, hit us up on uh, Real Life Real Faith with Cheryl H. Donovan or on our Twitter page at Real Faith Mag. That's Real Faith Mag as a magazine. And let us know what you think about uh, the things that we've been seeing lately. And, you know, we, we started talking about this whole Donald Trump thing, what, about six, seven, eight months ago. A lot of people did not believe at that time that he would be where he is right now. But as we look at things, it looks like the Republicans are headed for a brokered or contested convention. In other words, they probably will have to count each and every delegate one by one. Uh, somebody, theoretically, they could even end up with a nominee who wasn't even running for president. And some people think that that nominee could potentially be the Speaker of the House, but he has made it known that uh, he really wants to see somebody that actually wanted to be president, somebody that was actually running. So it, it should be a very, very interesting Republican Party convention. On the opposite side of that, uh, on the opposite side of the aisle with the Democrats, you have Hillary, you have Bernie. Um, Hillary seems to be taking an extremely commanding lead in in that area. So it looks as though 
he might end up being the party nominee, but in this volatile political race right now, who knows? We have no idea. So we just have to stay tuned and watch what happens. But I do want to say this. I don't care who's running. I don't care what their platform is. I want to encourage everyone to vote because I did hear Ms. Cannon make some very disturbing um, comments about, you know, basically it, at least it sounded like uh, telling people not to vote. Now, I don't know. Maybe he that maybe that's not what he intended to do. Maybe that wasn't really what his message was. But it sounded very much to me like he was telling people, especially in his age range, you know, that too broke to vote. You know, don't vote, don't vote. It doesn't matter anyway. You know, at the end of the day, you know, people died for us to have that opportunity to vote. You know, even, even if it means voting for the lesser of two evils, not only did they die for that to happen, you also have to ask yourself, why is it that they're trying so hard not to let you vote? If your vote didn't matter, if your vote didn't count, they would not be trying to dismantle the voter rights uh, initiatives and acts that we have in place right now. They're doing everything in their power to dismantle that piece by piece to make it harder and harder for certain populations of people to vote. There's a reason for that, y'all. Read between the lines. Read with the third eye. Listen with the third ear. There is something going on, it is so, which lets me know that voting is important. So please don't become apathetic and decide not to vote at all. What we do have to do, however, is that once we place that vote, we need to hold our elected officials accountable. And I think that's where we're dropping the ball. We, you know, it's not about not voting, but, you know, if our elected officials would hear our voice after the vote is made, if we would call their phones and if we would go down to our local, you know, places, city hall and, and our um, state capitals and things like that, and, and, and send uh, in letters and, and petitions and things like that and let them know what it is that we really want, I think the process would be more effective. So don't think that not voting is the answer because it is not. The answer is uh, for us to be, become more active. And, hey, if you don't like the people that are out there, choose another candidate. Find somebody that you do like and, and maybe run, maybe even turn for yourself. You know, that's my two cents on this evening before we jump right in. And speak to Don Michelle Hardy. Don Michelle Hardy, president of Dream Relations PR and Literary Consulting Agency. She's been described as a literary lobbyist. So we're going to ask her about that, especially since we were talking about all things political a few minutes ago. So ask her what a literary lobbyist looks like. Um, Ebony Magazine was the one that called her that for her ability to help authors reach their readership using strategic and creative promotions, award recognition, along with national and local media attention. She's also an active member of Women in Media Group, which is a New York-based nonprofit association of women who have achieved prominence in many fields of media. The Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce has um, Brooklyn Chamber of Commerce has served as she served as PR director for both Love Fellowship Tabernacle under Pastor Hezekiah Walker, and Body Scup of New York, a Brooklyn-based 501c3 that provides community fitness programming and events to combat child obesity. So Real Life, Real Faith would like to welcome to our airways this evening, Don Michelle Hardy. Don, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Don, are you there? Yes, I'm here. I'm here. Can you hear me? 
Hello? Okay. I can hear you now. I can hear you oh, now. Oh, okay. Thank I'm, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can hear you first. All right. <laughs> so how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just had a, had an hour to decompress uh, so that I can have a great conversation with you. It's been a crazy day. But I'm well. I, I yeah. listen. I I totally understand what you're talking about. It gets like that sometimes. So look, I, one of the things that I read was about you being a literary lobbyist. When you hear that, explain to me what that sounds like to do. I, what sounds like to you? Because I know what lobbyists normally do, but mm-hmm. in your industry, what does that look like? So basically, is I'm I'm an advocate. Like as an agent, it's my responsibility to take my client's work and then lobby their work, advocate and, you know, cheer on for their work to be published by a publisher. So, you know, that Mm -hmm. requires me pitching it across multiple platforms and expressing to the editors and publishers, this is why you should publish this book. This is the audience for who this book is for. This is the ideal time that the book should come out. And this is how you should go about promoting it and convincing them that they should buy into that. And then hopefully most Mm -hmm. of the time it results in a publisher offering the author a book deal. So, you know, how difficult is that? Because, you know, the way that the industry is, is moving right now, you have a lot of uh, uh, people that are able to self-publish, a lot of different things that are out there on the market now that allows for the, the playing field to be a little bit uh, more level with regards to the way the mm-hmm. books come out. So how difficult is that in, in the industry as it stands now for you to get someone to pick up a book and say, okay, yeah, we're going to publish this? To be honest, Cheryl, it's, it's, it's very challenging. Um, I have – Two examples. So I'm a book publicist for uh, for an author. Her name is Tia Williams. Her book actually published today, and it's called The Perfect Fine. It's contemporary women's fiction. Uh, we're calling it Black Glamour Chicklet. And this is her fourth novel. So, And she also co-wrote Iman's Beauty Book. So this is not her first time at the rodeo. She's written for multiple magazines, including Glamour, Elle, Lucky, Teen Vogue, Essence.com, and with all that she has accomplished, her professional resume and beauty is amazing. And then she's written four books and helped write Iman's beauty book. And she was not able to get one of the majors to buy her book. I'm not her agent, but she wasn't able to get one of the majors to put her book up because they wanted her character to really explore more of the struggle of being a black woman in the fashion industry and not just a woman of a certain age returning to the dot-com of the fashion industry. So some, normally I always tell authors, listen, if you have a platform, you have to have a platform. Writing credentials, have some, some press clippings so that they can see how media-friendly you would be, that you know how to reach and engage your audience, and that they need to see that you have great writing. Tia has all of those, and she wasn't able, and she had an agent, and she's been working with the same editor for her entire publishing career, and she was not able to get one of the top five publishing companies, to publish her book. Now, I'm an agent working with a guy who is the co-writer of the film Birth of a Nation with Nate Parker that's coming out in October, and I'm in the process of selling his book. Tia definitely has a larger platform than he does, but because he's tied to a movie, I'm hoping that I'll be able to sell his book. But, of course, Mm -hmm. Nate Parker recently got a book deal, and he's a Hollywood guy. So, again, like, it's hard to tell authors, oh, you know, if you do these three things, write well, get a good platform, and have something important and smart or funny to talk about. That if you have those three, someone will buy your book. That, that, that's supposed to be enough, but unfortunately sometimes it's not. And, and a lot of times the struggle is really with African-American authors. And you know yeah. what? It and, is and so it's key just, that you so, just, so it can be frustrating because even when you dot every I and cross every T, it still doesn't get you the book deal. 
Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's key that you said that because um, I find myself uh, not very long ago. I was talking to another author about that very same thing, and you know, even even in a group of authors, I was telling them, you know, even if you have celebrities, sometimes it is difficult to get somebody to publish your book. Um, and outside of celebrity, it it can be almost next to impossible sometimes to make that happen. And I don't think authors really recognize, you know, even if you have a good story, even if you have mm-hmm. uh, a good editor and a great cover and all of that, you still may not ever sell one book because, you know, the industry is just so fickle sometimes. Right. And here's the thing, like, so when we say industry, so for me as a literary agent, when, when I say industry, I'm talking about editors, marketing folks, PR folks that work within mm-hmm a publishing company, like one of the, the top five houses, and then all of the mid-level um, publishing houses out there, academic press and so forth, people who read uh, PW, Kirkus, things of that nature. So now that's mm-hmm. industry for me. However, the everyday person that goes into the supermarket or goes into Barnes & Nobles or Target or Walmart, those are the readers. And everyone, including myself as an agent, the writers, as well as the people that work in-house at publishing, our job is supposed to be to work as a team to supply books to that man or woman that's walking in Walmart, Target, or Barnes & Noble. And a lot of times the reason the books aren't getting done is because what I believe that they should be buying for the woman that's in Target right now is they don't believe so. But they don't believe that there's enough of those women around the country that would warrant them to buy the book. Oh, we're not going to sell 20,000 copies of this type of book because the woman who reads this book, you've made a case for who she is, but there's not enough of her. So that's a reason for rejection. You know what I mean? And then it, it, it continues to spin around. You think a movie is great? I think a movie is horrible. We're both correct. And if you happen to be the person in position to buy and you don't think it's good, then there's no deal. But both of right. us are correct for, for how we see it. So it's a, it's a business that's really relative. If you think the writing is great and I think the writing is bad, we're both right. But if you're, again, if you're the person in a position of power to buy, then, you, you know, I get a rejection letter and I have to move on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah, wow, that that's that's very important. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, different authors and things like that listen to that because that is a, a, a key element in what um, what they need to understand when they get ready to get, you know, to start publishing a book. That is, it's all relative, and that's very true. It's all relative. What one person sees as a great book, somebody else will see as the most horrible book they've ever read in their life. But, yeah. They, and they and are both to, right based on their opinion. And you have to, t- and, and for me, I have to tell authors that all the time simply because when you keep getting rejection letters, like when I get rejection letters from editors, before I even tell my client, oh, you know, Simon Schuster is going to pass, before I even have that conversation, I'm reading the email or I'm the one on the phone as an agent having the conversation and, and listening to what they're saying. So I'm already engaging them in a back-and-forth conversation or emailing back-and-forth to try to rebuttal their um you know, rebuttal their, their rejection. So at that point in time, I'm being rejected. My client's work is being rejected. So now I have to figure out how can I share this rejection with my clients but not bring down their spirits or their confidence and have them continue mm-hmm. to believe in the work that they did, believe in me as their agent, that I will find somebody to buy it. Because that process, you know, it's like speed dating. At the end, of, every time you go to the table, if nobody wants to take your number, after a while you're like, listen, 
let me finish my tequila and leave. Like, why am I here? But you just have to, <laughs> right? you, know I mean? you just have to, you have to believe in yourself. And a lot, there's so many authors that will tell you stories of how they got 30 rejection letters and then one person decided to take a chance on them. Um, a big book of last year was uh, Ta-Nehisi's Coats, um, Between the World and Me. That book sold more in the first 30 days than his memoir sold maybe in the first five to six years that it was in print. So, again, wow. like, you know, it's, you can't even say strike while the iron is hot. You, you can't even say that. It's just time, circumstance, um, industry, culture, what's taking place in that moment. Because, again, he got a deal years ago, but this is the book mm-hmm. that got him all the awards and the fellowships and the grants and all the publicity. But he already had a book out. Yeah. yeah. And, you know. That that book is pretty much like you know now an afterthought compared compared to this one. So if he would have right. given up based on that, we would have never had this great book that came out last year. Yeah. Now, so um, to you, how important is social media or having a social media presence? Because that's one, another thing that I think uh, we talk about a lot, and not only having a social media presence, but also coupling that with offline things, because I think some people lean too heavily either on one or the other. Okay, so social media. Here's the, the, the easiest example, and you'll be able to share this with 50 million people in like 10 seconds. Everybody at this point in time in publishing has come to the consensus that 1% to 3% of your social media followers would actually follow through and buy your book. So if you just work with that number, 1% to 3%, so whether you have 30,000 followers or 30 followers, 1% to 3% or 30 million, 1% to 3% would actually buy your book. That is, that is what statistics are showing. So at that point in time, you know, if you only have 2,000 followers, 1% to 3%, okay, I can sell 20 copies of anybody's book, and I'm not a writer. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's nothing to brag about. So therefore, your 2,000 Twitter followers, when you think 1% to 3%, that only means 20 books sold. Not impressive at all. So I never like to tell authors you should have a certain number of followers. I just basically share that that tidbit. And then, well, how many books would you like to come to the publishing table with? So, well, listen, I have a fan base of XYZ, and on my own I can sell 15,000 copies based on using that 1% to 3% of your audience will buy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that, that that's should be easy because people get consumed with a, a particular – there's no magic number. 1% to 3% will buy. Okay. Okay. And that, yeah. that's good to know because I don't think any, I don't think I've ever heard anybody else kind of explain it that way. And when you put it in perspective like that, it lets you know that there is a whole lot more that you need to be doing besides yeah. Yes. But here's uh, the thing: I didn't know that on. either. So, as a literary agent, we have meetings with editors, and we ask that same conversation because, again, if my client is saying, "Oh, I have ten thousand followers," they're asking, "What well, Dawn, is that enough?" Ten thousand is way more than I have, so I think it's enough. But then when you go to editors. And you say, well, how many, like, Twitter followers, like, matters to you? And everybody kept trying to zero in on a particular number. And then somebody just came and said, you know what, 1% to 3% is what we're seeing, that if a person has this many, their book sales is usually 1% to 3%. So if you use that type of math, then you get as many followers so that your 1% to 3% still becomes an impressive amount of sales. Mm-hmm. So at that point in time, nobody's mm-hmm. fixed on a magic number anymore. 
So now one yeah. of the one of the other questions that I wanted to ask you before we uh before we separate on tonight is this. I know that you're a part of uh women in media and you know, that's one of the areas that we talk about a lot, and not just women in media, but particularly African-American women in media and the way mm-hmm. that, you know, women and African-American women are portrayed, you know, uh, in the entertainment industry. What What is your take on that, and what do you think we can do to change that narrative in that space? Well, as a publicist, um you know, one of my one of my roles is always to pitch, you know, the clients to get media coverage. So right now, Tia is an African American woman in her book, The Perfect Fine. She was able to share that story that I shared with you earlier about her not getting a book deal um, with Cosmo magazine. Now, Cosmo is a mainstream woman's publication, two million plus in circulation. They allowed her to share her story, which is important because now there's the Cosmo Reader, which is going to be one aware of Tia's book. And then one aware of the um, the struggle that she experienced in in publishing. Essence Magazine um, recently did their body issue where they had uh, the plus size women on the cover, and I mm-hmm. love that. Some you have to be willing to take a chance and do what your heart feels as opposed to what everybody else is doing. Now, Cosmo is not mm-hmm. a black publication, and it's not even a book publication, but they allowed Tia to share her story in that pages which is something different than they normally would do. Putting the plus-size women on the cover of Ebony, great. I have not seen any other publication do anything like this. So Ebony mm-hmm. took a chance. You have to think outside of the box, and if you know your readership, give them give them what they want. And, and don't really worry about what other people say. Like, I, I hate right, to see right. the same celebrity on seven covers when I go to pick up my monthly magazine one, the same person. Listen, Beyonce mm-hmm. never needs to be on another cover. I get it that she sells, but there are so many other amazing, beautiful, and super smart women that deserve the media coverage. But, again, yeah. if the people who work in the media are scared to take a chance and interview the next whoever, then we'll continue to see the same images and the same people. It's the people who already have the media jobs. They have to say, listen, yeah. I'm tired of seeing this, you know, and, and, and want to do something about it. Don't say you're tired of it if you're not going to do anything about it. And I know it's easier said than done, but you, yeah. you have to be diligent at it, yeah. And you know what, that is that is exactly what Real Life, Real Faith Media is trying to do through, over its platforms is to bring, you know, people that maybe you've never heard of that are doing some really great things and some awesome mm-hmm. things to light so that people can, can see it, you know, through our um, six magazines and, and here on the, you know, the radio broadcast and even with our television broadcast. That is what... Changing the narrative is what we're all about and trying to empower people to empower themselves because you're right. There are so many deserving people that you yeah. will never hear about because nobody wants to take a chance. And and I think that that is a travesty because they're really doing some great things. As a publicist, it drives me crazy. I always like to work with the talent who has next, Beyonce, mm-hmm. the next Terry McMillan. You know what I mean? Like I like to work mm-hmm. with the next Ta-Nehisi Coates. Um, but, again, as long as those people are active, it is a really, it's really a struggle to get the media to say, don't cover these people yet again. Cover who's mm-hmm. next in line. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a struggle. But I'm, I'm, I'm diligent to the fight. I posted today on Twitter, I will not lose. It's a roller coaster <laughs> ride, but I get off. I gather, my, I gather myself together, and I get back to the back of the line, and I get on and go it again and, and, until I yeah. get it right and until I get what I want. 
And, again, that's, that's why I lobby for my office. Like, I'm not taking no for an answer. It may be no from you, but eventually I'll get the deal. I'll get the media placement. Yeah. Well, listen, Don, one of the things we like to ask, we like to ask all of our uh, guests that come on the broadcast is this, what do you think Don Michelle's legacy will be? Oh, my gosh. That's that's such a loaded question. Um, (laughs) What, okay, so since we've been talking about publishing, what I want my legacy to be is I want to be able to help authors of color specifically, um, to be able to publish their works in its most authentic and truest form because at the end of the day, the books will outlast all of us. So I'm helping build a legacy for African Americans by allowing them to tell their stories. The books will last. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Don Michelle Hardy, thank you so much for joining us tonight thank here on show. Real Life, Real Faith and Media. And uh, I'm going to be t- contacting you for some other things as well. So good luck to you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you so much. Have a great night, Cheryl. You as well. Everybody, that was Don Michelle Hardy. She is a literary agent. She is, you know, she works with authors. She says she's trying to bring the next great thing to light so that people can identify and find out some of the wonderful things that uh, other people of color are doing in the community and in the publishing industry. So we will be back in just a moment. Don't go away. We'll be speaking with Don Ali in just a moment on Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. You don't usually get a stock tip from a 16-year-old, but I'm here to tell you about a different kind of stock. It's called Better Futures, a stock for social change that's not about making money. Instead, you invest to help students like me go to college. This is beyond a simple donation. It's the opportunity for America to invest in its kids and take an active stake in the future of the country. The return on your investment isn't money. What you get back is knowing you protected our potential. So one day, that potential can grow up to become surgeons and architects, executives and engineers, people who can change the future just by being a part of it. My name is Alicia, and I'm your dividend. Invest in better futures with UNCF. Visit uncf.org invest. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, but a wonderful thing to invest in. A public service announcement brought to you by UNCF and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Layla Ali. I might be undefeated in professional boxing, but there's one problem even I can't fight alone. Childhood hunger. Over 17 million kids in America may not know where their next meal is coming from. That's one in five children. Yet billions of pounds of surplus food produced right here in America just get thrown out every year. That's more than enough to feed every last hungry child. That's why the Feeding America nationwide network of food banks gathers surplus food and gets it to hungry kids before it goes to waste. But they can't do it without your help. Join me in supporting Feeding America and your local food bank by going to feedingamerica.org. Together we can knock out hunger. Together we're Feeding America. To help solve hunger in your community and to find your local food bank, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council.
Welcome back to Real Life, Real Faith. I'm your host, Cheryl Lacey Donovan, and as we told you earlier, tonight is the night of the two dons. Night of the two dons. We were speaking earlier with uh, Don Michelle Hardy, who is a literary agent and publicist, and now we're going to speak with Don Ali. Don Ali has a very interesting story. I'm going to read this preview to you. To facing the woman in the mirror and the second secret she was hiding. It says, I was, I was staring in the mirror in the master bedroom of the unfurnished two-bedroom luxury apartment I was unknowingly going to be evicted from a few months later. I pulled off the wig that I wore daily. I had been wearing, wearing one of some sort 10 years at that point. I reached with the scissors and cut off the mess of hair that I had left. The second secret that I had been hiding was that my relaxed hair was broken off only a few inches long with balding patches all over. The combination of overprocessing my hair for years, the wigs, and simply not taking care of it had taken its toll. I basically had no hair left. Then it goes on to say that in this book, you'll discover the 12 secrets to unlock a happy, rich, sexy, confident, powerful, loving, and joyful life with a great body at any age. This interactive guide is for people who want, who want it all. It will empower you to do as Don Ali did, transform all areas of your life. This book will show you what Don went through, what obstacles she had to overcome, and give the readers new ways of seeing things and ideas on how to create the same results in their lives. Plus, personal coaching assignments from Don to help you focus and put what you learn into action. Once you're able to alter your perception on what you can achieve, you'll watch a new you transform right before your eyes. Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan welcomes Don Ali. Hey, Don, how are you? Hi, I am excellent. Thank you very much. What a great intro, and you surprised me. I didn't know you were going to be reading from my book. That that's oh, very nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So listen, this is, you know, when I, as I was reading that, I was thinking to myself, you know, there are people that believe that we cannot have it all. But uh, I, for one, and obviously you do as well, since you put this in the book, believe that it's possible if you really make the effort to make that happen. So tell us what, what that yes. looks like yes. for you when you say, you know, having it all and, and transforming this life that you had before. Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question. So five and a half years ago, I I was literally living in a rundown motel. I was 45 years old. I had a job, but I obviously wasn't able to make ends meet. I was working six and seven days a week. I had been evicted from my apartment and just filed bankruptcy, had my car repossessed. Um, I was struggling with my weight. I was uh, overweight. I was taking multiple medications. My face was broken out. Um, I had already started my hair growth journey, but still I was still going through the hair of School of Hard Knocks, learning how to regrow my hair and everything. But anyway, so I woke up in the motel. I looked at my feet and ankles. My feet and ankles were swollen. That was my wake-up call. It was like, you know what? I really have to start doing some things differently. And I just started working on changing my life. Now, here it is, five and a half years later, and my life is 100% opposite of what it was five five years ago, and at fifty, it's like it's like this is the best life I ever had. <laughs> so, 
Yeah. Well, speaking I from someone who will be speaking for someone who mm-hmm. will be fifty in June, I am so into. I believe that wholeheartedly because I'm seeing things so differently than I probably did even even five years ago, and and it's almost like mm-hmm. a reinvention type thing going on. I don't know what that is, but I, I applaud you for that. And you know, maybe thank you. Is there something that you could tell the listeners? that, you know, some epiphany or something that just kind of clicked and said, look, wait a minute, you're just spinning your wheels like a hamster in a, in a habit trail. Well, okay, so when I woke up with my um, ankles and feet swollen up and living in the motel, I had nothing in my life that I wanted. Like, my life was just horrible at that point. And um, I just, I, I came to the conclusion that I didn't want to live like this any longer and that was that was it. It was, it was like my wake up call. It's like I have to start doing things differently. Started started learning. Um, I wasn't all the way serious until uh, let me see, forty six. So after I turned forty six, and I looked at um, a picture of myself, and it was like I still wasn't where I wanted to be. But looking at the picture, and I got even more serious on my journey. It was just at the point where it's like. If I don't really, really get serious with myself, I'm going to die. And meaning that not like I was going to kill myself, but I was either going to die from an early death from some type of sickness or just be so low and so miserable that I would just evaporate, basically, because I just couldn't go on living with not being the best me. I could feel the greatness inside of me. I could feel it beating to come out the new me wanting wanting to be born. So she had to be released or else I just wasn't going to be able to go on any longer. Wow. So what? how did you get to the point where you could really see things differently? Because that, I really believe, so a man thinks, so is he. And it's really about perception at the end of the day. If you, and it sounds cliche, but if you see the glass half empty, it is half empty. If you see it half full, it is half full. And, and you know, if you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you can't. Both of those are right. But what was, you know, yes, how do you yep. do about people to see stuff differently? I'm sorry, the phone kind of, the, the line kind of cut out, so I didn't hear your question, full question. Say the question again, please. Oh, I was just asking you, how do you find a way to motivate people to see things differently? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's another excellent question. That's, it's really hard. It's really challenging because basically the bottom line is really is that your motivation has to come from you. You have to get to the point where you have this burning desire where you make up your mind that I'm not going to do, I can't go on like this anymore. And then you start to take action to learn, learn new things. The only thing that I could do is be an inspiration to show people and tell people that you can change your entire life. And, Mm -hmm. And I tell my story. So I'm constantly telling my story over and over again. And I always say my age because I want people to understand that you don't have to be really young in order to change your age. That's why I'm always stating my age. And so I could be an inspiration for women, especially over 40, because something happens at the age of 40. It's like all of a sudden it seems like 
for most women, like your life starts to fall apart. You you spent so much time and energy into giving so much of yourself to others, your children, your husband, et cetera, your jobs, and you have not been putting that same energy into yourself. And then you wake up 40 years old and it's like all of a sudden we've neglected ourselves so much and everything is just a wreck. And, but we've gotten to all these habits and it's really hard to change the habits and break the habits. And we're doing things unconsciously that is ruining our lives and we don't realize it. So, so my point of saying that part is, is that I'm constantly telling my story to inspire women who are, Mm -hmm. who have similar things as me that you can change your life. And even though you are over 40, it does not mean you have to keep the life that you have. You can make a decision right now today to change it, to change your life. It comes with a decision. If you have to start there and then you start to learn new things, you have to invest in yourself. Investment means time, money, energy, sacrificing, learning, and, and taking the action. It's hard, but it's worth it. Trust me, it is 100% worth it. Now, you talk about something that a lot of African-American women deal with, uh, especially those that uh, do a lot of processing to their hair, coloring their hair, uh, relaxing their hair, and then they find that they have over-processed it to a point where they begin to lose their hair, especially at the, you know, those edges right there in the front. Talk about mm-hmm. what that was like for you, and I believe you found a way to change that. Tell us a little bit about it. Yes, yeah, so um, actually, I had my I started experiencing my first bald spot when I was 16 years old um, because I started doing my own hair as a teenager, and um, so by the time I was 16, I had actually started experiencing my first bald spot. And so every time my hair would start to grow a little bit in that bald spot, it would just break right back off to like peach fuzz. So it may grow like an inch and and then it will go all the way back down. And so what ended up happening is I found myself um, at a very young age always having been forced to wear my hair really, really short, like a, um, you know, like a really short Halle Berry or Tony Braxton type of style, always to wear it like that. So I went like that um, and always trying to camouflage that little bald spot there in the middle, in the crown of my head for years until I got about 32. I was so sick of having to wear my hair like that that I um, started uh I ordered my first wig online, and I really loved it. I thought it was really cute, but I wasn't brave enough to wear it outside. So maybe about a year after that, I started getting um, braids in my hair, and um, somehow she was able to kind of camouflage the the bald spot. Um, But then it started pulling out my edges, the braids. So after about a year wearing that, so then I tried the weave, and I liked the weave, but I thought that was too expensive, did that a couple times. And so by the time I was probably around somewhere between 33 to 34, I got a hold to some wigs again, and I just started wearing wigs, and I wore those wigs 
for the next nine to ten years straight, never, ever, ever taking my hair off or my wig off in public, not even around my family. Nobody, nobody saw my hair without that wig on. And so by the time I was 43 years old, you can just imagine how bad my hair had gotten and I didn't want to live like that anymore. So that, that was my, that was my experience. And that was the beginning of my hair growth journey. And it was very long and hard. I went through a school, long school of hard knocks, learning and trying new things and um, including natural oils. And that actually led to my um, Dawn Ali super hair growth oil, which actually is a very, very hot product, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. I get a lot of orders for that. So, um, so anyway, so yeah, that experimenting with oils led to the creation of that in back in 2014. And then I also recently wrote an ebook called Hair Habits, and um, mm-hmm. that's available with um, with the hair oil as a as a free bonus. So, yeah. Well, Don, one of the things we always like to ask our, uh, our guests when they come on to Real Life Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan is this, what will Don Ali's legacy be? Mm, that's another good <laughs> You have some great questions. <laughs> um, well, I am a woman who my mission is to help women who are 40 and over to become HRGB. HRGB stands for Happy, Rich, Great Body. And so it's, oh. a, it's about a lifestyle and inspiring women to have the lifestyle that they, they want, that they really want. So um, when, when I'm gone and people look back on me and who I, who I am, who I was, and um, they'll say, well, wow, this lady was real. She inspired millions of women worldwide and helped millions of women worldwide from private coaching to video coaching through books and um, products for hair growth and nail growth and beauty and et cetera to actually change her life, their lives. So um, I believe that that is what people will be saying about me once I'm no longer here and what my legacy will actually be. A woman who helped to change the lives of millions of women around the world, helped them to finally break free of the, the chains that they're locked in, the chains that the, or even the prison actually that they're locked, they have locked themselves up into thinking that they can't have a better life thinking that it's over, they're over the hill at the age of 40, and when it's not, tr- it's not true. Just because you've never been able to grow hair before doesn't mean you can't regrow hair. I can't promise you that your hair, that every particular person's hair is going to grow, but there's a lot of women who think they can't grow hair, and they can. I was one of those women. Not only did I get rid of my bald spots, but also my hair used to, I never got, never got past the bottom of my neck. That was the longest my hair had ever been. Now my hair goes down to my bra strap in the back. So 
just because you haven't done something before doesn't mean you cannot. You, you can also lose weight. You can get healthier. You can clear up your skin. You can even become a millionaire. So, um, so that is, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yes, it does. It absolutely does. Listen, let our listeners know how they can contact you. Okay, thank you. So um, there's a couple ways. So first way, you can go to my website, dawnali.com. That's spelled D-A-W-N-A-L-I.com. And um, you can also just you can email me at – you can email dawn at dawnali.com, D-A-W-N at D-A-W-N-A-L-I.com. And then you can search for me on Facebook and um, you'll find um, my prof- – there's my, of course, personal page, but then I have my professional page as well. And you can like me or follow me there. Just search my name, Dawn Ali, and you can Google me and find my other um, social networking um, profiles as well. Sean, thank you so much for joining us tonight here on Real Life, Real Faith. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, well, everybody, right. that was right. Dawn Ali. Right. Good night. That was Don Ali. You can reach to her at uh, com. She has a lot of wonderful products on her website. Um, she talks about weight loss, nail growth, hair growth, personal life coaching, all of that. So make sure you go out and visit her there. And also visit our other guest from tonight, Don Michelle Harding who is a public relations specialist as well as a literary agent. Her website is www.dreamrelationspr.com. As always, we want to thank you for joining us here on Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan. We'll be back in two weeks at 7 p.m. here on Tuesday night. Reach out to us at Real Life, Real Faith with Cheryl Lacey Donovan on Facebook, as well as our Twitter page at Real Faith Mag. We're also on Instagram at Real Life, Real Faith. As always, we want to remind you that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than you could ever ask or think according to the power that worketh in you. Be blessed. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have to help me on this one, Jesus. Feeling kind of emotional. You know how tomorrow can come today. Today ain't promise. Yeah. I'm living, screaming, let it rain. Money shamed in my last days. Put me in the box and let me burn like ashtrays. It doesn't matter why I'll be resting in my last place. It really shouldn't matter, but it does. What will they say? Does my legacy provoke a wave of therapy? It was my living kind of cancerous, like leprosy. Can I be charged again like facing double jeopardy? I hope when they reflect upon my stakes, it makes a better me. Tell me, Lord, was I worthy enough to follow? Did I spark inspiration for tomorrow? Please forgive me for all of those I may have led astray I pray my better days Was an example to their ways You know it's hopeless Trying to please every man 
But in your nail the seven hands repaired every man Tell me that my reparations will restore a generation Use me just like you used to raise Tell me what they say or even what they think when I'm dead and gone Will they celebrate and mourn or carry on? Did they even know me and what I stood for? Or judge me by my mishaps, my storms, my pitfalls Tell me what they say or think when I'm dead and gone Will they celebrate or mourn or carry on? Did they even know me and what I stood for? Or judge me by my mishaps, my storms, my pitfalls I'm a living testimony, but death to breathe a testimony But will the testimony be enough to God? To get the glory Did I push too hard When I should have pulled her Was I wishy-washy Trying to navigate These earthly roles Could I spare some change Like be a panhandle I manhandle Some folks feeling like I was a mad vandal The folks that knew me then Just don't know me now Can my past surpass My own progression Is that allowed I know you didn't Lift me up Till I was standing tall Just to knock me down onto my knees Like I'm not saved at all That's not your motive Your aim is it to play With folks Your goal is to strengthen The foundation and make even yokes So in my last breath In my last steps I pray I'm reaching as far as I can Like some spandex I pray you give me the grace To reach higher heights And spark revival in my exit party If I die tonight Tell me what they say Or think when I'm dead and gone Will they celebrate or mourn Or carry on Did they even know me And what I stood for Or judge me by my mishap My storm My pitfall Tell me what they say Or think when I'm dead and gone Will they celebrate or mourn or carry on? Did they even know me and what I stood for? Or judge me by my mishaps, my storms, my pitfalls? Yeah. yeah. 